Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I would just be praying the rosary and all of a sudden it would just come out of nowhere. It, this, and it's not like roses you'd smell anywhere else. It's not like, it's like a heavenly roses. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was mixed with this balsam scent of the chrism mixed together. And it happened a few times as I was praying the rosary. And then it, it never happened again. I mean, it only lasted a few months, but and it happened maybe five, maybe seven times. Keith Barrobay, professor of Mariology, Theology, and Literature, explains how the Holy Spirit is at work in the scripture, tradition, and magisterium of the Catholic Church. And he goes on to tell the beautiful story of his conversion and miraculous encounters in daily life. Even though we start the show with a spirited political disagreement, and that's because we are almost good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue, this back and forth, may help us approach the truth and to have a great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, my guest is Keith Berube. He's a professor of Mariology, Theology, and Literature. He's the author of a number of articles and three books, including Mary, the Rosary, the Relationship, and Dragons, Mary the Beloved, and A Love Letter to Mary. To quote from your faculty webpage at Queen of Heaven Academy, Mr. Berube and his wife Pamela reside in Ohio with their five homeschooled children and a veritable zoo of pets with a family teaching, studying, fixing the house, and writing, Mr. Barrobe's spare time is limited, but he finds time for extracurricular essentials such as eating bacon, sleeping, playing croquet, enjoying the outdoors, and the indispensable acts of drinking coffee in the morning and tea in the afternoon. Here, here. So welcome, Mr. Barrobe. <laughs> Thank you. Very good to be here. Um, would you like to tell us a joke? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. um, this one should get us rolling, I think, given the, the topic. And then I have a very short story that, that's very funny and true. Okay. So there's a, a Catholic and a Protestant standing together, and they're talking about Mary. And Protestant is not happy about this. And so he, um, he starts going off on, on um, how Catholics are so wrong about Mary. And when he finishes, the Catholic says, you know, I really hope I die before you do. <laughs> and the Protestant says, what do you mean? And the Catholic says, well, I don't want to be behind you when you try to explain to Jesus why you don't like his mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for the story, though, the true story about St. John Vianney, um, another professor or a professor was talking about him. He says, oh, that, that Father John Vianney, he's an ass. And, um, you know, what, what, is he, what is he worth? And St. John Vianney heard this and um, he said, well, he said, Samson with just the jawbone of an ass was able to wipe out thousands of Philistines. Imagine what God can do with a whole ass like me. <laughs> We're all kind of in that boat, I think. So yeah. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, no. And um, to, you know, it's kind of a crude uh, thing, but we have this, this like, like, like move your asses and move your backside. But I also feel I have no evidence for this, that it might come from St. Francis, where he, where he said like the human body is like a lovable ass, meaning that it's, it's oh, silly. Right. It's silly, but it's 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 good for doing work. And in a way, you know, you you look at a little baby donkey somewhere. There, we have our own uh, charm and our stubbornness and our foolishness. Exactly. Yeah, we're all donkeys. We're we're sweet but stubborn at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen to that. So, my main question for you as a Mariologist is also the main question of the whole podcast: is how do we know these things we know about Mary? But before we go there, I just want to ask you from our recent emails back and forth about this recent consecration of Ukraine, which has been a topic on, on this show uh, in previous weeks. And you called it wonky. Uh, what do you mean? Right. What I mean is this, um, and I think we just need to keep it simple. It's really very simple, but we're good at complicating things. So Mary's words were to ask the Pope with all the bishops to consecrate 
Russia. Nothing else is mentioned. Now, it might seem really trivial, but it's really not. He didn't consecrate Russia to Mary. He consecrated the whole world hmm. and also Russia to Mary. And Jesus actually told Sister Lucia that um, you know, by doing this, it will shorten World War II, which it did, actually. There were some I mean, we started getting victories after he made this consecration of the whole world and Russia with a special mention of Russia. But um, Mary kept after Sister Lucia to tell the Pope after this. So we're talking about the 50s now uh, to ask the Pope to consecrate Russia because Russia didn't convert when the Pope consecrated the world with a special mention of Russia. It didn't happen. It just shortened World War Two. And 1984 is kind of slightly confusing because there is a, a mention of Sister Lucia saying, yeah, I haven't accepted that. On the other hand, I don't really know. We can't talk to her now. Yeah. Did she mean accept it in, in a certain way like he did in World War II or what? Because the Pope did not mention Russia, but he did say the whole world and all those countries that Mary particularly wants consecrated. To illustrate that, supposing I had a, a really huge backyard and I hire someone to put in a whole rose garden for my wife, for her birthday. So I leave for the day and I come back. And the next day, there is that rose garden, but there's also a really nice swimming pool, um, (laughs) in addition to the house, tons of other flower gardens. The problem is that when my wife comes to see this, she's not going to see just a rose garden. She's going to see all these other things, which which are great, but that's not what I asked for, for one. Um, And the other things completely overshadow the rose garden, which was meant to be focus. I just wanted a rose garden. So when Mary comes and says, consecrate Russia and nothing else, she just says Russia. She means literally Russia. Now she wants Russia to stand out. God wants Russia to stand out. Why? I don't know. So we can't go adding to it and saying, well, I'm going to add some other stuff. That's not what she said. Yeah. No. And I think that's a really good point is that we really don't understand the mechanics and the metaphysical economy of heaven, like what it is about what we're supposed to do. We're just, we're just supposed to obey. And it's, uh, mm. there's so many things in, um, you know, especially in, in, in scripture where, you know, God says, walk over here and then do this and then bathe this number of times or put mud and mud over here. You know, there's so many physical mysterious things that we are supposed to do. And, um, so both Robert Fastigi and w- William Thomas said that those earlier consecrations were quite effective. And as you said, in 1942, that was the end of Hitler's victories uh, when that consecration happened. And as uh, William Thomas said in 1984, after that, there was, uh, I'm sure you know this much better than I, mm-hmm. that um, a, a Soviet mun- munitions uh, factory oh, exploded. Right. And then right. all these talks between Gorbachev and Reagan began. And really, after that, we saw the end of the Soviet um, Soviet Union. But as Fastigi told me, like, well, not he, it was really Sister Bernadette of Lourdes, that, you know, for those who believe no proof is required, for those who do not believe no no proof is sufficient. Like, how do we know that any of this stuff is, I mean, I guess we don't know, but I mean, why do we think that, that these are the results of our prayers instead of just the natural course of politics? What do you think about Ukraine? I mean, the suffering is is tremendous. The civilians are are slaughtered, and yet the Russians are, as my brother likes to joke, uh, Putin thought he had the second strongest army in the world. It seems he has perhaps the second strongest army in Ukraine. <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, that's a question. I just, I don't trust our news. I don't trust any news coming from anywhere. So I really don't know what's, what's what. I, I think if we just listen to the news and we say, oh, yeah, clearly Russia's the bad guy. It's not saying Russia's like, should be doing what they're doing. Uh, like we were just talking about, Russia is the key thing. Mary wants Russia to be consecrated and have this conversion. We don't know exactly what that is going to be. But let's be honest, our country and all the others do bad things. Um, Abortion, all the other stuff, which I'm not going to get into. I don't know who's listening to this exactly. Maybe No, let them listen. I I welcome disagreement. This is that makes it more interesting. I think I I disagree with very much of what you said, but I'm so delighted that (laughs) that you're going to say it. It's let's hear it. So yeah, so I, I, I mean, I really don't think we have the full story here. One of the things that we are um, that's strange is just the how much everyone's against Russia when the rest of the world is also really bad. I mean, we're it's not like we can start pointing fingers. We've also invaded our own country. I mean, other countries, uh, kind of like Russia's doing to Ukraine. I'm not saying we were right because we weren't. What do you mean? Which, kind, what are you, which countries? Are oh, you? I mean, like, uh, for instance, uh, no, I'm this is getting out of my area of expertise here, but um, you know, Iraq and um, you know, mm. going in there really causing a, a problem. I think that's a good comparison because, you know, we would all agree that Saddam Hussein invading Kuwait was such a clear violation of norms. And we had such great support in the 90s 
when all we did was push him back out and call it a day. And then the other time, 10 years later, when we went in a second time, what a mess that was. We thought it would be so simple. And boy, did we learn that, you know, nation building is really, really, really difficult. To answer your first protest, I think what's obviously wrong here is that a big country invaded a small neighbor. And I don't think we should be hard on Russians, but I do think Putin has a lot to answer for. He's almost like a 20th century villain jumping up in the 21st century out of nowhere. But what I'm saying is that NATO, led by the United States, has been putting stuff like basically in their backyard for a long time. And even when we said we weren't going to do it, then we started putting missile systems, et cetera, in their backyard. It's kind of like when they Russia did it to Cuba, or imagine if they did this in Mexico, right on our border, we'd be like, look, we don't want your stuff right? <laughs> our border like that. Could you please stop? And then they just don't stop. I mean, I can see why Russia would be really ticked, but it looks like we're, it's a provocation. And I don't, like I said, I don't know why, but it seems to me going back to the Mary aspect that yeah, since Russia is so important to Mary, it almost looks like the devil is trying to prevent this conversion of Russia from happening somehow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what no. I find really weird about this. So that something else is going on. I think that we just can't quite see. But um, okay, I'll, I'll 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 say one last thing, and then you can have the last word, and then we'll go back to Mary. Don't you agree? Or let me say this, and then you tell me if you agree. Is that there's such a big difference, moral difference between like what you're referring back to is those spheres from the Cold War, and we divided the world, with, you know, with uh, with the Soviets when we had to after World War II because they ended up on the winning side because Hitler betrayed Stalin, and that was just the real politic of the day. But if you look at the line. You know, you'd rather be in South Korea than North Korea. You'd rather be in West Germany than East Germany. And every Ukrainian knows he'd rather be a, a European than a Belarusian, right? And so they have this right to determine their own way and they can do it with democracy and they can stick up for themselves. Um, so I, I just, I don't see the moral equivalency, but I think we should leave it there and you should have the last word and then you talk about Mary. I'm not saying Russia should take over Ukraine or anything like that. I think, you know, Ukraine should do what they want to do, but but I, Ukraine used to be part of Russia, Russia you know, then broke away. So Russia has a, you know, is concerned about that. But then I think their main concern is if Ukraine joins NATO and the United States, then they are going to have things like right along their border. And it's a, a lot of empires ended in the last 100 years. And this one is too. I hope it doesn't head to a world war because it almost seems like. Amen. Something's being, it, it seems like something's trying to push it. And by something, I don't mean countries distinct necessarily. I mean, something is behind this trying to push I think everything into a, that's like a world a, war. That's a really good point. And I want to say one more thing. It's a real pleasure to talk with um, other Catholic intellectuals with whom I disagree so much about politics and culture. And still, we are in one big tent, one big church, and we love we love each other for the things that matter. Those things are to love God and love our neighbor. Um, and so we, we'll probably disagree on many political things. I can tell just by talking to you <laughs> 15 minutes, but um, we, we are a big we are a big family and it's fine and it's good and it's democratic for us to argue about this stuff in a, in a, in a spirit of back and forth as we're doing here. Right. Yeah. I mean, talking about it definitely needs to happen. So. So here's the big question. How do we know um, these ideas about about um Mary, the mother of God, the things that are not in the Bible, you know, the Protestant that the Protestants share with us about the assumption of Mary, about her coronation as the queen of heaven, about Jesus descent into um, hell or Hades on on Holy Saturday. These are the things I've been kind of trying to chase down with um, my guests who are real experts and and like yourself have thought about this for years and years and done all the um, um, intense study. How, how do we know this? Where do these traditions come from? How, how can we... Um, uh, understand them. Right. That's a, that's a loaded question right there. There's so much to it. But um, so we have, of course, sacred tradition. Um, the divine revelation is not just scripture, um, which by the way, scripture, the books of the Bible were actually chosen, um, you know, through the Holy, through the Catholic church. So uh, the Bible that the, all the Protestants have ditched a few books, but the, the yeah. Bible they used though was put together by the Catholic, by the yeah. authority of the Catholic church. Which was both um, big C and little C Catholic because it was kind of the only church. Well, no, no, there were there were heresies right off the bat. I mean, mm. early on. I mean, even St. Paul talks about people who are not teaching what they're teaching. Got it. So, I mean, it goes it goes way back. So, no, there were other things. There were a lot of heresies by the time you get to the 400s, early 400s, and you've got um, the Bible, the books of the Bible being set 
um, you know, in, canonized basically in a canon yeah. of the Bible. So, um, so we also have secret tradition. So that, that's the things that are not written down. We find those things, for example, um, in various elements of the mass, things that have been passed down by word. It's part of divine revelation, just like scripture is. So you've got um, sacred scripture and you've got sacred tradition, both. But then you have a third thing, the third leg as they call it. And that is that those things are interpreted rightly by the magisterium because the, the church is led by, got, guarded by the Holy Spirit, right? So this is something that no one else, Protestants don't have. I mean, the Catholic Church has this. Um, Jesus only established one church. If you, as soon as you get into lots of different ones, we've got a problem because you can't have multiple versions of, of the truth. So the church has the authority to do this and the protection of the Holy Spirit to do it. I mean, it's very complicated. All you have to do, of course, is just open the Bible and it's like, I mean, you can interpret it all kinds of ways. And it's it's not even a simple sentence, which like Patrick Madrid um, points out, he's a really good uh, Catholic apologist, a lot of people know about. And he said, so just imagine if, uh, he may have used a slightly different example. I think this is close though, but um, he said, what if I got a, someone came over to me and said, um, your friend Fred uh, stole some bread. And um, so you can interpret that all kinds of different ways. Cause you, you could say, what well, do you mean? My, you mean, are you saying he's my friend? Cause he's not. Or you're saying Fred because you don't mean Fred. You mean Tom. He's the one who's a thief. Or you mean my friend Fred stole some bread because bread is not what he would be stealing. He steals like diamonds and things. He's like big. So you can interpret this all kinds of different ways. What do you mean by that sentence? And so when you have scripture, I mean, it's so complicated. I mean, you, you have to have one voice, one authority in order to interpret this, uh, or you're going to have 50 billion different you know, interpretations. What's true? This is one of the reasons that we have... Um, the Holy Spirit guiding this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. So you have sacred tradition and sacred scripture and the magisterium. And these things develop also over time. They don't change, but our understanding of them um, develops. So, okay. Could, for, so, so just um, to define our terms, scripture, I understand. Right. A tradition is what we have passed down from people who um, had visions or knowledge by, by, how, where does tradition oh, come from? No, we're talking about the apostles. So okay. um, if divine revelation, public revelation ended with the death of St. John, the last apostle. Okay. So, um, so we're talking about public revelation. So scripture and what comes from Jesus. And so first, to the apostles. first person, like, you know, primary sources, including St. Paul, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, St. Paul as well, yeah. right? Because he's, I mean, we have his, his letters in scripture. So yeah, that's part of public yes. revelation as well. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, I mean, before the Bible, because a lot of this wasn't written down at first, all we had was sacred tradition. There was no, there was no New Testament, you know, for the first, first decades of the church. Um, and so they went just with, there was just, um, except for the Old Testament, there was only sacred tradition. So those are the things that are vocally passed down from Jesus to the apostles, the apostles, you know, um, you know, onward. Right, so that's sacred tradition. So those are the things that are passed on um, from them, but not everything's written down. So the things that are not written down. So what happens if something is written down but is not in the Bible? Like, for example, uh, patristic fathers. You know, my teacher was a student of John the Apostle, so I'm like a third-generation student of his. And this is a letter I wrote to my other friend. Would that be scripture or would that be tradition? No, that's that would be – I mean, it's not even tradition once you get to them because okay. it's after the death of, uh, of St. John. Okay. But um so yeah, but I mean they are trustworthy um when you have the church fathers um because for one they've been canonized by the Catholic Church. So I mean they've been thoroughly vetted, you know, is this good theology? Is this really true? But they also like St. Polycarp, St. Ignatius, yes, yes. of Antioch, they were disciples of St. John the Apostle. So you're getting really direct stuff here. Yeah. Okay. Um and so that that would that would then would that be magisterium? The, yeah, the magisterium. Well, I mean, the the magisterial decisions would be that, for example, the letters of. I mean, they did look actually at the letters of um, Saint Ignatius, for example. But they're just, but they they're not included. They're not part of scripture. Um, the church looked at all kinds of other gospels that were written, um, yeah. you know, soon after Christ, along with other others, and so the church determined, you know, these these four gospels are are true. They're accurate. These other ones, the gospel of Thomas, and there's a bunch of different ones are, are simply not, they might have some true elements to them, but they're not, um, divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. So it's not public revelation. So there was a lot of, you know, deciding, you know, what, there's a lot of material, 
um, the church had to. So that's the magisterium. This is true. This is not true. This is how we interpret that. Otherwise, we're all going off the rails. And is that something that is getting built up over time that, you know, we decide a, a few centuries in, a few more centuries in, a few more centuries in, there's a council, there's an encyclical, and the magisterium is always being revised and perfected? Yeah, you could say it that way. I mean, um, so it's the things develop over time. So, um, um, so for example, Mary's clearly the mother of God, but then there turned out, you know, there are people saying, well, she's not, this is too complicated to get into now, probably, but she's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Christ. Um, and uh, the Council yeah. of Ephesus, um, 431, said, no, she is actually the mother of God because um, you, can't, um, you can't be the mother just of a nature, Right. You can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm the mother of my child's body, but as for the, you know, his soul, I'm not, yes. you know, that doesn't make any sense here. And so, um, Mary's the mother of Jesus, who is a divine person. Yeah. So she's the mother of God. Doesn't mean she, she made his human, his um, divine nature, obviously not anymore, but that's, that's like saying, you know, no mother creates their child's soul either, but she's still that child's mother. Was he, this is a kind of also, um, so obscure, uh, and forget, tell me if it's too esoteric and silly. Was he Jesus before he was born? You know, like when he was the word, the logos, who in the beginning created everything, was he already assigned the name of Jesus because it's all outside of time, even before he was conceived and born in a place and time around the year zero and named Jesus by Mary and Joseph? Yeah, that's a, that's a deep question right there. So, I mean, from eternity, God knew, I mean, he's always the son. And from eternity, God knew that, you know, how things were going to go, yeah. that he would assume a human nature, the second uh, person of the Holy Trinity, and his name would be Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but was he called that in, like, before history called him that? No, he okay. wouldn't, like, so, yeah, that hadn't happened historically yet. Um, and so it, it just wasn't a part of things. It, God knew it was going to happen, but it hadn't happened in history yet. So it's a mysterious thing, the whole, the interplay yes. between time and eternity. Yes. How do you understand that? May, uh, or am I derailing what you were saying earlier? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, it's an interesting thing. I mean, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of, uh, of how to, uh, how to lead this back. I mean, God knows it's all from eternity, but we didn't actually, you know, there was a point when you and I didn't exist. Yeah. Um, and yet God knew who we were going to be. He knows what's, um, um, you know, what's going to happen. It's, so yeah, I mean this this would be a this would be a, probably a whole a whole hour in itself. Yeah, do you think okay, how about this? Do you think God experiences every historical moment in the present the way I can look at um a a a branch with 100 leaves on it at the same time, he's seeing you and me talk in the year 22, he's seeing, you know, um Hitler and Stalin have a fight, he's seeing uh Columbus hit the new world, he's seeing, you know, the first caveman figure out how to make a spear. Like all at the same time, the way I can regard, uh, you know, something in two dimensions. Right. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's very much like um, like an author in a book. So if I had the yeah. whole book laid out on my desk, uh, I can see the entire thing. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know I can see what's happening here, here, here. Or I hold it just in my mind. I mean, in my mind, I, I see the whole story at once. I see every mm-hmm. what all my characters. The difference here, of course, is that the characters are alive and actually have free will. Yeah. So they're choosing to do things, but it's still all laid out before him. So it's, you know, so it's kind of like that where it's, everything's in eternal. Now he can see the whole thing and everything everyone's doing. So yeah, eternity is a very, really fascinating thing. Um, uh, because it's like all time is present. It's not that there's, yeah. it's not time as we know it, but time, it's not like we're going to have no time in heaven. It's just, it's not our experience here in, in, in you know, the universe and in, in this world. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, so the whole thing's laid out before him. And do you also think that, you know, the kingdom of heaven's at hand means the kingdom of heaven is really right now, like it's eternal. That's where we will reside after we finish here, but it's also right here, right now. Like I can, I can, experience heaven this this moment as i spent you know a, something a holy moment with my child or 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 admiring a, a work of nature or something like that or seeing a sunset right. yeah right right sure yeah i mean uh i mean the, the kingdom's already you know here and you know beginning it's not like it's it's um it's far away it's it, one way to look at the church is kind of like um um you think of like the D-Day invasion, for example, mm-hmm. um, all those boats that were landing on the beaches 
those belong to say, say um, you know, America, England. And so those, for all intents and purposes, those ships are England, are America. That's American and England, English, um, British land, basically, so to speak, those ships. Um, and so when you're on that ship, you're basically, you know, in a sense, you're back in your kingdom, you know, even though you're, it's the ship, it's like an extension. Yeah. So the church in this world is, is kind of like that, how the kingdom has come into this world into an enemy beachhead, basically. Um, so the kingdom is here. Um, have, it's like what the saints say, heaven begins now and hell begins now. It depends yeah. how you're living your life. So they both begin now. So again, that interplay between heaven and eternity, it's a fascinating, fascinating subject. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking um, in a previous episode about those C.S. Lewis characters in The Last Battle in Screwtape Letters in The Great Divorce who sort of persist in hell or create their own hell by their attachment to their pride and their orientation away from God. Whereas if they can be persuaded to just turn around and open their eyes, that kind of hell that they're creating for themselves could be transformed into a heaven. Right, exactly. Yeah, C.S. Lewis has some genius stuff that way. Yeah. Uh, well, I've I totally lost the thread. We were talking about um, Mary and the consecration. We were talking about oh, we were talking about the magisterium, the tradition, and and scripture, and how do right. we know the things we know? Right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to see where to go from there. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so for yeah, or like you could take for for the example, like we believe that Mary is crowned Queen of Heaven. We say this in the you know in the Rosary every Sunday right. and Wednesday. How do we know that she is crowned? Like, where, who did this come up in a council? Did did uh, was it revealed in a dream? Oh, right. Um, there's yeah. This goes back to again the magisterium and the and properly understanding scripture. So, it, at mass, um, when that feast of Mary's queenship comes along, um, we have an Old Testament um, phrase about this, which refers back to you know the queen. Sta- I can't forget exactly which spot, but the queen standing at the right side of the king. And this is applied to, um, to Mary. Um, this goes back to really the Davidic covenant. So you have David, for example, and then you have, um, um, I'm sorry, Solomon and you have Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Okay. So, and she's the queen. And the reason that the, the mother was always the queen is because, you know, Solomon had, a, they, they would have a lot of wives, right? So and you can imagine um, right. the fights right. that would happen. No, he likes me better. He thinks I'm prettier. I mean, how do you pick a, a wife out of a queen out of all these hundreds of wives? And so it was always the Davidic queen mother who, that was the queen. She knew the sun best. There was no fights and battles. She knew how to, to um, you know, give him good counsel. And so that is what we call a type in scripture in the Old Testament. It's, it's real people, for example, um, Bathsheba, who really lived, had her own historical role in salvation history, but she's also pointing to showing us someone who's going to be coming along at some point. And so we, she's definitely a type of Mary who's, who's, I mean, Jesus is the king. He's the Davidic king. He's the heir of the Davidic um, throne, which makes Mary, his mother, the queen. I mean, that's simply just goes back to what the Jews have had always done. And then Jesus carries that on um, now because he, he actually is, um, not just the second person of the Holy Trinity, but in his human nature, he is the heir of David's throne, which makes yeah. Mary, who's also of the, of the house of David, which makes her the actual queen mother. And that's, God doesn't, you know, uh, yes. and that's, how it, that's how it keeps going. It's not like it changes. She's always going to be his mother. And so this is something that is a fact for eternity. That and that's why we king, say, she's the queen. son of David, have mercy on him. That's why we say that. Exactly. Yeah, now, yeah. And significantly, he gets this lineage through his mother, not through his adoptive human father. Well, that's, yeah, that's a, it, that's both, yeah, that's true, but there's also another aspect. So St. Joseph is also from the house of David, but oh, I see. legally, um, the, a, a son would come into that inheritance, um, would come into that line through the father. And so St. Joseph, um, that's actually, so he has this human nature from Mary. So in his very biology, he's of the house of David, but as far as his authority goes, like being, um, being inserted into the line that comes through St. Joseph because St. Joseph was also uh, from the Davidic house, but he's the father. So it had to come through the father. So he's got both. He's got the biology from Mary and he's got the, um, you know, the, the lineage, the line continues through St. Joseph. And so did I say it right? That a bunch of um, very wise people got together at, at some point and agreed that this was the case. And here's the antecedent that we see in scripture. And so that is, from now on, the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, this—I mean, this is all guided by the Holy Spirit over a you know a long 
period of time. I mean, so it's not just wise people. I mean, you can uh, yes. you can have all kinds of wise people, but it's not even the smartest people. It's the Holy Spirit guiding the church, you know, through the um, through the Pope and through the bishops in union with him. So. Yeah, so that that's how that's passed down. Yeah. Okay. No, that really answers my question. So, so through the the Holy Spirit guides um, the leaders of the church who probably confer with each other to make sure that they all agree that this is what the Holy Spirit is telling them, and then they establish right. they establish these traditions that we then uh, that we then take as to be truth. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Right. Oh, well, that, okay, perfect. Okay, my second question is: um, is it's connected to the consecration of of, of um, Russia, but also in daily life? Uh, how do you understand the problem of of miracles? How do I know that? Um, is there inside your heart of hearts, or um, a a needle or a barometer that tells you this is a divine thing? This is a series of coincidences. This is this one. I'm I'm not so sure that we find all, you know, all, all the time in our daily lives. You know, I lost my car keys. I prayed for them. I didn't find them. Why didn't I find them, Lord? I lost my car keys. I prayed for them. I did find them. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Or you know, um, mm. and I. Uh, there's the there's the old joke of like Lord please 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 help me find a parking space, if if you help me I'll do anything I'll pray I'll go to church I'll reconcile with my estranged brother I'll oh no wait never mind I just found one thanks anyway you know like, <laughs> right. there is an answer for this actually um, yeah <laughs> all right so I mean obvious ones um, you have obvious miracles for example uh, and this is from our, our parish priest a few years back he um, very de- devoted to Mary he went to Lord's um, a lot of times. And one of these times, and I don't remember all the details again, but um, a friend of his, uh, who was a doctor, medical doctor, she did something to her arm. I forgot what it was, but it was very bad. And it was actually even possibly uh, deadly. It was a really bad situation and they couldn't fix it. I forgot what it was. They could not fix it. Um, And she's told her doctor that she wants to go to Lourdes. And her doctor said, I'm only going to let you go because you yourself are a medical doctor. So if things go wrong, make sure you deal with it right away. Um, Because he didn't think she should even be going basically because it was so dangerous. Um, um, What happened was she went down, uh, this priest, our parish priest saw this happen. She went down into the water at Lourdes with her completely destroyed arm. And again, I, I wish I could remember all the details, but um, when she came out though, he said her arm was completely healed, a hundred percent healed. Um, I mean, full use of it completely looked normal. It was completely fine. Not a single, I mean, it was instantaneous healing. And I mean, her doctor verified it's impossible. I mean, just yeah. impossible. And it happened on the spot. Um, There's a similar one actually in the, uh, when was it early 18, late 1800s? Um, it's a famous fellow named Emil Zola. I think that's who it was. And uh-huh. um, he, uh, I think that's who it was. And he didn't believe any of this. He saw a woman whose face was completely eaten away by, uh, what was it? Um, cancer. It was some kind of cancer. I mean, her face was, her nose was gone. It was, just, it was, she didn't have a face basically. She went down into the water. He saw this happen. When she came out, she was 100% completely healed. And he said, if he would, he said he would believe it if he saw something like that happen. So she comes out of the water, um, and her face, the skin was all brand new pink skin. I mean, she had a nose again, and this is instantaneous. I mean, she went in with no face and came up with a perfectly beautiful face. Um, and he said, despite the fact that he saw this happen, he still refused to believe it. Yeah. Try to figure that one out. I mean, uh, some people, like you said, they simply... I mean, they won't accept yeah. any proof. They just, it doesn't matter what they see. I don't know what you do with that. That's just, yeah. like, but that, that's the major obvious miracle. So what about the ones that are like day to day? I, I just want to say like, what a great illustration because I find it so much easier to believe something that you told me because you met a person, even though I've never met this, this priest and the woman with the arm, like because you met the guy who met her, it's easier for me than if I read about it. Exactly. In an article. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love stories like that. Cause yeah, yeah. I, I know this priest is a Dominican priest. He's still in, in Ohio. He's just, um, he's just in Cincinnati now, but he just left a few years ago. But yeah. So, I mean, he told the story to us all at mass. We we're like, Whoa. Um, and this is someone he knows. And so he really saw it. So yeah, that, that changes. It's kind of like, okay, this isn't just something from a book. I mean, this is people really see these things. I mean, yeah. that's, that really does kind of wake people up. Um, I had a friend who was a student of an Anglican bishop in Uganda, and he had to get out of the country for whatever reason really fast, and his enemies had burned down his church, and he went to the ashes, and there's nothing left except for his passport. 
like sitting on top of the ashes, you know? Yeah. Like, and I believe it because I know the girl who was his student, you know? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. 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 Right. And that's the kind of stuff you can believe. And that's obviously yeah. something that's now someone could say back to your question about the daily small, what seem to be small things. Could that be coincidence? Now you have to kind of look at the whole picture, but let me go to what St. Therese yes. said, just to kind yes. of set the foundation. St. Therese, doctor of the church said that, there's no such thing as coincidence that God's providence is over every single detail of our lives, even the smallest details. Um, so right away, right there, you have the foundation. Are there coincidences? No, there aren't coincidences. Um, when you see something happen, um, especially when it's over and over again, um, you're like, well, this keeps coming up. I mean, now you have to look at it. It could be something demonic. I mean, sometimes it could be. Um, so you have to look at at you know, first of all, is it something good? Mm-hmm. You know, um, secondly, is it, you know, what are the fruits of it? Is it bringing humility? Is it bringing good things? And, um, you know, so there's a lot of things to, um, to look at, but, um, for example, um, here, here's an example. My daughter has been thinking about being a nun, one of my daughters, and I think it was last year, maybe the year before that, um, but not too far in the past. She prayed to St. Therese for roses. Um, Again, just just for assurance, am I supposed to to do this? Is this what God wants me to do? All right, no, no one knew this. I didn't know this. Now, also at the same time, um, yellow roses are uh, a really important Marian rose for me, hmm. and um, for reasons I don't have time to get into. But um, now she had a yellow rose on each foot at Lords. That's part of it. But um, so I was praying a very similar thing, uh, you know, for roses. I was particularly met pondering the the yellow ro- these yellow roses. And so my daughter had made this prayer. This is unbeaten. I didn't say anything to anyone. My, what, my daughter didn't say anything to anyone. So my behind the scenes in all this, what after these prayers, like the next day, um, my mother-in-law at work, someone ended up having a bunch of extra roses. No, I mean, and we said, would you like these? And she almost said no. And then she said, well, you know what? I'll take them. And then she was going to bring them home. But then on the way home, she thought, you know, what? I'm going to stop at my daughter's house and because I like the roses and she brings these roses here. And um, so, and she hands them to my daughter and she having no idea that my daughter just prayed to St. Therese for roses, hands her this giant bouquet of roses. Um, And guess what? Some of the roses ended up being yellow, just a few. I have a better chance of winning a a billion dollar lottery than my daughter praying to St. Therese. The next day she gets this bundle of roses just out of nowhere. And some of them happened to be yellow, which is what I had prayed there's no odds for that kind of thing. It's, it's then you're like, okay, clearly someone heard our prayer. I mean, it, it's that kind of thing that gives you goosebumps. Yes. It's like, wait a minute, God is definitely listening. <laughs> and, and you, when these prayers are answered that directly, it can really, you yes. know, it can yes, shake yes, up yes. a bit in a good way. So, yeah. You, um, so yeah, that, that's an example of, you know, I would say pretty much any coincidences you're getting, there's, there's something behind it. Yes. I mean, maybe there could be something. I've read stories like this, like they really love a certain house, right? And it doesn't look like they're going to get the house. But then all of a sudden they do get the house, okay? And they're like, oh, this is really good. But then when they get in the house, and these are based on true stories that I've read, um, and I've seen some crazy things myself. Um, they get the house, they move into the house, and inevitably, I mean, this does happen, where someone just feels like something's wrong here. And then they start having all kinds of problems. I'm talking about objects moving, scratches on people. I mean, there really are demonically infested houses. And then the people don't have enough money to move and they're trapped there. Now, was that, was that, that's a kind of coincidence that is not coming from God, obviously. This is, this is something that's obviously wanted to, um, you know, attack that family. And probably that family, this is usually the case, not always. Yeah. Um, you know, wasn't in the state of grace, wasn't living a good life. Um, and, you know, they were open to that kind of attack. Um, um, it, you know, so I have heard other stories that are similar where it turned out much better, like a family ends up converting and becoming Catholic. It's like, okay, well, that's clearly part of God's plan was to allow this battle to take place. And then they saw all these bad things, realized that there is a devil, there is God, and the Catholic Church is the only thing that could deal with it. And then priests come and deal with it. Yeah, you know, we, have that, this, you know. we have a theology that there's all kinds of spirit, you know, good and and evil, and probably some in between, like, you know, um, troubled ghosts, like the kind that you describe where, you know, something terrible happened and they're suffering, right? But I, I, I don't even know where to begin with it. I've heard what? there's so many examples. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a tricky one because, and again, that's 
um, kind of kind of away from Mary, but it is it is interesting because well, the, you've really only got three things going on here that can happen. You've got um, well, I'm sorry, four maybe. You've got demons, obviously. Damn souls can also do things, but that's pretty rare. But it does happen. But then you have souls in purgatory. Now, um, holy souls would not do these kind of things. Souls in purgatory can be a confusing thing, but they're not destructive, but they can be kind of scary. That They'll yeah. appear to ask for prayers. Um, but when you have other things happening, there's no such thing as ghosts that get stuck, people that get stuck. There's not an eternity yet. They don't know where to go and, you know, oh, go to the light. That's just, no, you've got, you've got demons and damned souls on the bad side. You've got sometimes, sometimes, then it's rare, souls in purgatory who need prayers or in a spot doing a, you know, being purified. Yeah. Maybe they sinned in that place. Um, but there's no like wandering souls who are lost or little kids who are like died in a fire and they're five and they're haunting the place. That's not what happens. That demons pretend to be those things to get uh, sympathy is what they do. Oh, it's just a little child. People start talking to the child, but it's actually a demon. Then this relationship develops and you're, you're really in big trouble. Yeah. So <laughs> it's another area I have studied actually a good bit, but well, like I have a, a you know, one of my dearest friends, uh, who was we were in the Peace Corps together? We were living in West Africa. He he is Jewish. I'm Catholic. Uh, he was sleeping on his roof uh, under a you know a beautiful starry night, and a woman appeared to him and told him to wake up and go inside because a sandstorm was coming. He woke up. It was a beautiful clear sky, and by the time he had assembled his bed, like the sandstorm had arrived. So some voice, you know, some voice. It could have been his subcon. You know, like maybe he knew at some level that the air temperature or whatever but i i suspect that that was just like i i don't see any moral part of it i don't see anything that he was instructed to do anything that he was instructed to not do you know right it was probably a guardian angel yeah. telling him that something is coming so sometimes they don't use words it's just an intuition i and you see this actually in, in wars like world war one world war two you'll you'll have a soldier for no apparent reason just say i have a feeling i should not be here i should get out and move over there and then a bomb will hit out of nowhere that they didn't expect and there's just no way that's true they could have known these things i mean so that happens a lot i mean i've seen that in my own life the you know these intuitions or even words you know do this rare but you know do this and then something completely unexpected that there's really it's impossible yeah that you could. i mean so guardian angels will intervene um could be a saint but usually yeah. it's it's a guardian angel, it seems. Very interesting. So interesting, right? And we'll never yeah, like go, oh, I forgot my hat. Did I forget my hat so that the you know the out of control vehicle would pass ten seconds earlier? Yeah, exactly. You know, like that sort of thing. Exactly. That kind of thing happens too. I mean, yeah. I've seen that too over and over. It's like it's like, okay, if I hadn't stopped to do it, like you're 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 upset at first, you're like, Oh, for crying out loud, I forgot my hat. But then you're yeah. like, Oh, wait a minute. Those ten seconds made the difference. Like something yeah. was looking over me here. <laughs> so, yeah. And we just don't we have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean until it happens, you just you sometimes you just don't know until it happens. And some a lot of things we just don't know at all until we get to heaven. Yeah, yeah, and perhaps it will all be explained. And boy, will that be that oh, will yeah. be a fun day. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, okay, so you you uh, are um, a very accomplished uh, Mariologist. And uh, two weeks ago, I was talking to Annabelle Mosley about her book Sacred Braille, and right. you had written the foreword for that too, uh, which was such a beautiful essay um, praising praising her work, which was a lovely lovely book. Would you tell us about um, the Rosary and uh, its its role in, in, in your life and in your teachings? Yeah. Um, the rosary. Um, so in my life, that's interesting. Um, let me just say a word about that really yes. quick. So, um, Mike, I was, I was not always Catholic. I came into the, I was baptized validly in a Protestant church. It was valid baptism though. Um, but we didn't really go much after I was about seven, six or seven. Um, my parents had, had, uh, been Catholic. My, my father's Catholic again. And, um, um, and, he is still praying for my mom. Um, but he met a woman. So the, their marriage was, had an annulment and I don't want to get into all the details, but there was an annulment. So that, um, he met another woman, uh, who was very good Catholic. Anyway, uh, she had left a video of Marian apparitions at where he lived, um, at his, uh, his apartment basically. And, um, I was living with him at the time and I, I was like, Oh, this looks interesting. And so I watched it and, I just knew, I don't even know how to describe it. I just knew that it was all true. All mm. this is true. It was just, no one told me anything about it. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that everything I was watching was absolutely true. Mm. Um, and so Mary started my my way into the church. And what happened is, uh, the reason I mentioned the rosary is, first of all, Mary's the one who got me here in the first place. It's mm. my over my life. Um, but after I was brought into the church, it happened about 
I don't know, five times maybe anyway. And it, it stopped after a few months, but I would be praying the rosary. And all of a sudden I would smell out of nowhere uh, roses mixed with the scent of the chrism that was used for my confirmation. Cause I was born into the church. I was, but I was uh, 22. Wow. Um, and it, it just, I would just be praying the rosary and all of a sudden it would just come out of nowhere. It, this, and it's not like roses you'd smell anywhere else. It's not like, it's like a heavenly roses. I don't even know yeah. how to describe it, but it was mixed with this balsam scent of the chrism mixed together. And it happened a few times as I was praying the rosary. And then it, it never happened again. I mean, it only lasted a few months, but and it happened maybe five, maybe seven times. Wow. Um, I was blown away. Um, so, you know, the rosary, what are we dealing with here with the rosary then? Um, so there's a connection between, as a lot we could say about this, there's a connection between the one praying, obviously, and Mary. And I talk about this in my book that she is, and I can't go into all the reasons why, but somehow she is physically present in some way, although obviously invisibly, but there's some presence of Mary there, which a lot of people don't realize. I mean, they feel like she's just somewhere far away. That's just not the case. And one of the theological reasons is she really is our mother in the, in, um, as far as grace goes. Hmm. So not biologically, but in terms of grace. Um, now she, we have bodies. She um, is a mother. She's assumed into heaven. She also has a body. And a mother's not really present unless in some way she's physically present. I mean, she could be present in a moral sense, but not, you know, we really need the physical presence for this to be you know, the perfect thing. Um, so in some mysterious way from eternity, when time is not an issue, um, there's nothing preventing her from, from doing this. Uh, but there's this connection there. So when we pray, um, she really is hearing what we're saying. I mean, our, our, uh, our words, the sound waves that come out of our throats and our mouths actually do go to her ears. I mean, she does hear it. Hmm. Um, and when we say the Hail Mary, what we're doing essentially is um, we're saying, I love you. But you think about what we're actually saying with the rosary. So we greet her as a queen, hail, right? Mm. Um, then we have full of grace. Saying someone's full of grace is, I mean, just that's saying you're, you're perfect and you're mm-hmm. the most, you know, um, because you'd have to be to be absolutely full of grace. Yes. I call her the mother of God. The fruit of her womb is Jesus, who is the son of God. Uh, this is all saying, basically, um, you are the most wonderful, charming, dazzling, beautiful creature god could make and has made and possibly could make he can't make anyone better than you and i love you and you know and i find we find god's love coming to us through her yeah um and the saints also say that the hail mary is um giving her a rose a kiss a gem um a goblet of sweet wine so and then you have each decade each decade of 10 hail marys you're pondering these mysteries of God, of her son, of her, all these marvelous, fantastical things. And when you put all this together, uh, any girl on the receiving, now Mary's a real girl. Any girl on the receiving end of this would, if it was sincerely done, would melt with joy. Her heart would be overcome with love. Uh, and this is what happens in the rosary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and Mary sitting together and you know, she's also pondering these things with you. I mean, and, but you're, you're telling her all these things. Jesus is happy because, you know, you're concentrating also on what he has done in life. He's the one who created Mary and he loves Mary more than anything. Um, so there's this incredible, you know, convergence of things that mm-hmm. is happening in the rosary. And one of the reasons it is so powerful is, there's a lot of other reasons, but is because when a person prays the rosary sincerely, they're really in Mary's rose garden sitting with her just you two. And you come out of that basically with her scent. Okay. And so the devil smells that. I mean, he can't stand mm-hmm. the rosary. I mean, so to St. Padre Pio, he once complained, um, cause he would pray, no, this is impossible for us, but he would pray, um, a yeah, hundred something, five decade rosaries a day. It was like 32 <laughs> or so, uh, tw- you know, 32 or so 15 decade rosaries. He said, you know, what is the nighttime for us? I mean, he was, he wouldn't get much sleep. He was beaten up by the devil a lot. So he was praying all day though. And all night when he wasn't actually talking to someone, he would be, people could see his lips moving. He was praying the rosary and yeah. the devil once complained to him that he had such trouble with Padre Pio because he said, he's always calling on that woman. And so uh, I think this was just through a possessed person. He's always calling on that woman. And so the devil just couldn't, 
you know, do anything with them. Yeah. And, and Padre Pio was constantly converting, uh, converting souls to Christ. Um, there's also a story I just heard recently from a priest in Haiti, and it was a, a possessed girl. And the devil said, I was trying to get into this girl to possess her all day, but she was holding, this is, she was just holding the rosary beads, okay? Yeah. The devil said she was holding the rosary all day. I couldn't have any success. As soon as she put those rosary beads down, then she was mine. Yeah. Um, somehow just the rosary beads themselves, and that's an interesting thing too, um, uh, give you this connection to Mary. It's basically as if it's holding her hand in a way. And so the devil just can't stand it. I mean, it's the most powerful thing. I mean, after the mass. And so the rosary is a weapon, but it's also, um, it, it really is a mystical sword. But even more wonderfully, it's this one-on-one time with Mary, who's yeah. our, our sister, our mother, our, our best friend after Christ. Um, I mean, I can go on and on about the yeah, rosary. Yeah, no, and I think you, you said a lot of very important things. Uh, and, and one which is a recurring theme for me is how physical our view of the universe is, that we, are, we, we, we love holding wooden beads. We love chrism. Mm. We love smells. Um, the idea of childbirth of God does not... Like there's no revulsion for things organic, things bodily uh, in in Catholicism, uh, and other you know uh, Jews as well. Um, but I, I do think that there are are some other religions where they just look with disdain on things of the flesh as somehow uh, a pollution. And we're not like that. Like our whole cosmic universe is organic and bodily, and about relationship, which is expressed through physical things. Like we give people flowers, right. we give people hugs, we give, we we cook for people and give them a goblet of sweet wine and on all these things. That is how we, you know, an idea without a manifestation is, is not finished. Absolutely. Really good points. Yeah. No, we're not angels where, and obviously it's good to be human because this, you know, the second person of the Holy Trinity became assumed a human nature. He he doesn't become a a human person. He's a divine person, but he's assumed a human nature that really is his. He really is God and man. And so it must be good. The devil, you know, just hates it. And so these things where it's like, put aside your physicality, um, you know, I, I hate to point out the flaws, but the fact is I, I've been in many a Protestant, we'll call it a building because there's nothing really in there. I mean, the walls are white. If they have any stained glass, it's nothing really interesting. And mostly it's usually just some colors. And uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, you don't have statues, you don't have images, you don't have incense, you don't have bells, you don't have rosary beads there we need these physical things Mm -hmm. because we're not angels we can't just intuit uh things or spiritually get things we need all the physical stuff which is why we have pictures of people we love or yeah you know all the things you mentioned it's a beautiful thing these material things they're not bad god said they were good so yeah yeah and it speaks to our many you know many ways of approaching the world we, we all have multiple intelligences i you know somebody likes sculpture somebody likes music protestants have wonderful music but i they they, they almost they sort of like uh avoid a lot of things that could be helpful right right yeah i don't mean they have they have nothing i mean they do yeah. right but i mean yeah they do have they do have music they also um, let you drink coffee in the sanctuary that's something <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have coffee afterwards, but, but yeah, good. I mean, coffee's good though. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's say um, I've, we've been talking for an hour. I feel I could talk to you for another hour, but uh, this, it's, it's, we're getting there. So let me ask you my last question, okay. um, which is because you are a teacher, I'm a teacher. You're a father, I'm a father. And when I started as a teacher, I wanted everything to be fair, everybody to have the exact same requirements and standards. And the longer I've gone, the more I realized, no, my students are coming from very different homes and very different backgrounds and very different levels of preparation by the time they get to me. And so I've started realizing that, you know, for you, this is an appropriate assignment, but for you, maybe some, you know, something a lot less or something much, you know, much more modified. And I realized that this is just good teaching um, and, and we're all different. And it has helped me understand the parable of the wages of the guys at the garden, which is hard to explain to my kids because they're like, wait a minute, I've been here since 9 a.m. You got here at 4 p.m. And we're both getting the same, like, wh- how do you feel about that? Um, being a teacher, being a father helps me understand my role as a student and as a child of God. Uh, because I'm, you know, there are people who are way more advanced than me in his service, <laughs> lots. And there's probably people who are not as advanced as I. Uh, and uh, what do you think about that? And how has being a teacher and a father? Do you, first of all, do you agree with that approach? Oh, yeah. And what? And what do you think? Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everyone is so 
completely unique. Um, I had this insight for what it's worth a while back, just to kind of lead into all this, but it, it kind of goes with what we're saying here. I was maybe just, I mean, recently, maybe like a year ago, two years ago, I was sitting in our parish hall after mass and I was just actually, like we were saying, I was drinking coffee. And um, I was looking at, I had been pondering this. And I was just watching people go by and um, all of a sudden it hit me. Uh, I don't even know how to explain it, how in, it's something I knew, but it's like almost like a vision. Although I didn't have a vision, but I mean, it was something that intellectually all of a sudden I just saw clearly that every person is so completely unique. I could never, like in heaven, it, if we really saw things even here, we could never be jealous of what someone else has, right? So for example, someone's relationship with, with Mary might look really great to me, so, for example. And I'm like, wow, I'd like to have that. But if I actually saw it for what it is, I would say, no, that's not for me. It's wonderful for that person, but there's no way I could be jealous because that person is so unique and that relationship is mm-hmm. so unique. And that, that really is the way it is with everyone. We're all so completely unique and who we are. I mean, we're unrepeatable. So God can't make another you or another me. I mean, just, it can't happen. It wouldn't be you or me. Um, right. So every person is completely unique. And so when it comes to students or kids, you just can't, I mean, there have to be rules, but then you have to look at, um, you know, what each kid is like, what they're doing, what their situation is. Um, you can't always apply the rules the same way. Sometimes, like, for example, um, you know, if a kid's like a really good student was having a really tough time with, you know, something maybe medically or whatever, and they're like, look, I just can't get this, say, this third essay in, I'll just excuse it. Mm-hmm. Now, normally I don't do that. But in that person's situation, um, it's the right thing to do is to say, don't even worry about writing the third essay. Just, you know, get the fourth one done. Um, you know, so you and there's all kinds of other examples I could give. Mm-hmm. You know, should you go to college right away? For some people, no, it's better to wait. Uh, for some people, they should go right away. Um, it's all, I mean, you give example after example because you're right. I mean, everyone is so different. You can't do a cookie cutter yeah. kind of deal with it. That's how, I mean, that's how love is. Mm. Love is particular, right? It's I love you you can't just be like i love i love humanity i love i love everyone yeah i mean you should love everyone but when it comes right down to it it's i love this person in particular otherwise it's not it's not really love it's just yeah it's a nice idea but we love in particular i love this person i'm going to ask that girl to marry me because i love her in particular uh, beyond all the others so that's how it is with students with kids with anyone it's uh, even with my kids that there are some things that they might say that for other kids they'd be like now, if you talk to me or your mom that way again, it's going to be doom. Like you're, going to, you're going to be in big trouble. But for other kids, it might be like they're just not thinking, or they, you know, it's beyond them, or you know, there's just yeah, yeah. Some it's under mitigating circumstances, and so it's not a, a one size fits all. Um, okay, you know, this is the punishment, so just therefore it is like some kind of machine, we're just dealing out, you know, just the appropriate thing that's programmed into us. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. I'd love for you to say a blessing for our listeners in the world. But first, I just want to thank you so much for spending this uh, hour with me today. And especially it's that, you know, you and I couldn't disagree about certain things, but it's a big church with lots of children of God, with lots of different points of view. And I wish I saw this more and more in our world where people uh, disagree about some things and remain friends and agree about others. And it actually actually helps iron sharpen iron. Yeah, hating each other is no good, but talking about things is... That's better. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, our beautiful lady, Virgin Mary, please bless us and bless each one of the people who will be listening to this um, at any point in the future. And we'll close, I guess, with the Hail Mary in that regard. Hail Mary, full of grace. grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother of God, Holy. pray for pray us for sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Chris Odinitz and Keith Barabay recorded this conversation on April 12, 2022, Holy Tuesday. It was also the feast day of St. Damien of Pavia, who in the late 7th century and early 8th century helped the Byzantine emperor conclude peace with the Lombards. He also healed a leper with a kiss. 
Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Their website is www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, is taken from a stained glass window at Santo Domingo de Silos near Burgos in Spain and is taken with the kind permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. Email me with comments, questions, ideas for future episodes at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. And I thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing.